Dr. Kevin Myers, our lead pastor, he's been away on sabbatical for a couple weeks. Kevin, I'm proud to say that most things are still intact. <laughs> but we want to thank you for all you've done, for your leadership, for how you've invested in our lives. And uh, we anticipate with great hopefulness, with great joy, the future. We just want to say thank you uh, for everything. And as Wyzetta, we're proud that you're our pastor. Thank you. Welcome thank home. You. <laughs> wow. Um, thank you. Uh, I, I have, I, from my heart, thank you. Uh, so it's an expression of kindness and love, and it's uh, really good to be back. I was away for seven weeks, and uh, you gave me the gift to be able to kind of step back and just rest and, and do things like I like to do, read. And um, I, I have to share with you, I was really nervous about leaving, because some of this, a good portion of the time, I was going to be alone, just me. And uh, thank you for prayer and walking and just getting out. And I just like thinking, what am I going to do with myself? And I got to tell you about a few weeks ago, thinking about coming back, it was just as difficult almost to go, I'm coming back? <laughs> but just this is just wonderful. And I was back this last week. We had a funeral here. And, and, and I'm excited about what God has ahead. You guys, I'm really excited about what God has for us as a body. Yeah. So I just want to begin this, though, in not pass over something that's been occurring within our nation. And it has been a very, very difficult week with hatred and, and violence and all this stuff that, you know, you think in some ways we've passed laws and we, you know, we, we, we're a country of independence and we have all this systemic racial hatred still boiling up. And, and then Coupled on top of that is a, I think something from the 60s, a lack of respect of authority that, that bubbles up in, in, in the face of our own uh, law officers. And we have leaders who I think just don't know what to do. I'm going to ask us to stand. And I just want us to say a simple prayer together. And in this will be embedded our prayer for for the African Americans who feel this and, and are, are, are fearful. And for police who do their job and are fearful. And for leaders who are confused. And it's just a simple prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer. And so let's say this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, folks, I'm really amazed as I think about this message in this series and I just think about life, how little things can make such a big impact. Sometimes things we do, we don't even recognize it, we're not even aware of it, and we might even think that they're, you know, maybe wasted little things that have been done. And I I can't help but think of a a story that um, you may have heard, but it's, it's from a man named Boswell, who was Mark Twain's biographer, one of them, he's had many. 
uh, about the time around Mark Twain, and he, he would often, Boswell was a good communicator, good speaker as well, and he would often um, refer to an event in his life as being one of the most significant days of his life. It was a day that was a, a great memory for him as a little kid. And he referred to it so often that there was a writer who was doing a work on Boswell himself, decided to, to look into that, and he had all of Boswell's books and even had his father's books because he kept referring to, Boswell did his incident of when he went fishing with his dad. And so he went back, he found his, Boswell's father's journals, and he was going through it and found the day that he referred to. And here written in the journal by Boswell's father, who allowed this incredibly significant experience for his child, are these words. Went fishing today with my son, a day wasted. You go, whoa. I don't think he had any, he had no idea the impact that would be. And then this child who would talk about it years later in adulthood. So often some of the things we do, we think they're so little, they're so minuscule that maybe they don't have much of an impact. We don't even see it and sometimes we even think, well, why do you even do it? It's what I call in this message for the first one in this series in Philemon where we're talking about refreshing others. It's the power of practically nothing. The power of practically nothing. Our ability to refresh a person, to significantly touch their lives, to make an impact and not even realize it. And yet, in doing so, it has great impact. See, in our culture, we don't, we don't really magnify the little consistent things that we do that, that reach into people's lives on an everyday basis. We just run past that. Our Western culture, so often, specifically in the U.S., and even more so in Texas, praise God, I'm from Texas, right? No, anyway. Um, no, Texas. We seem to be enamored with bigger, better, faster, and more. And yet, when we look at so many things in life, and as we look at this glimpse here, God uses the little, small, seemingly insignificant things in big ways in people's lives. So I just want to say to you, if you're discouraged because you think, I don't have a lot to offer, I don't have you know, the big thing to do, you know what? Cheer up. You have no idea the little things that you do, the good little things that you do, day in and day out, and the impact that they have. See, you don't have to chase after the big win. You don't need to supersize what you do to get some kind of supersized impact. The bigger, better, faster, and more is more than likely the best route. In fact, not the best route to touching hearts. On November 19th, 1863, standing under a honey locust tree on Cemetery Ridge, one eyewitness said... The assemblage stood motionless and silent. The extreme brevity of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address caught his audience by surprise. Edward Everett, who was a a well-known orator in that day, in fact, he was the congressman from Massachusetts, he had just spoke for two hours prior to Lincoln getting up and sharing the Gettysburg Address. And he had gone on and he he had had great stories and enamored the people But he later asked for a copy from the president. In fact, in a letter to the president, he said, I should be glad if I could flatter myself that I came as near to the central idea of the occasion in two hours as you did in two minutes. 
Refreshing others is often about just little things we do. And so when we look at this letter, and we're not going to read through it um, today, I'm actually going to, I hope you won't read why I'm looking at it and we're talking about it now, but I'd you know, love for you to go home at some point and just to read this because this little letter, it, it, it's, it's, it's just one page. And you could easily pass by it. It's between Titus and Hebrews, and it's real easy just to whip by that and not even notice it's there. It's only 335 words in the Greek language, in the text itself. Onesimus is the person who Paul is talking about when he's writing to Philemon, and he's only mentioned one other time in Scripture, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, where Paul adds these few words near the conclusion of his letter to the church in Colossae, because this letter is going to Philemon to a home, to a couple people. In fact, what's really amazing, and this is the one small little letter, 335 words, written to about three people. And, and, and Paul, in these churches, because, you know, they didn't have facilities like this. This wasn't about the fourth century. They actually had church buildings. They would meet in people's homes. And so there were a lot of churches in Colossae. And this letter would go, he would, this letter to the Colossians would be sent to Colossians, and he'd read it in all the different little churches. But this letter went to a family. And Paul writes in that letter in Colossians, the only other time he mentions Onesimus, Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, which is really important because he came from there. You'd think he'd be one of them, except for he was a slave. And the gist of this one-page, 335-word letter is simply Paul's appeal to a wealthy slave owner named Philemon to release his runaway slave, Onesimus. Onesimus had run from this little city in modern-day Turkey called Colossae, had run and escape, like if a, if a slave was going to escape, they wanted to go to a big city where they would be kind of lost in the crowd. So he ran all the way to Rome in Italy. Somehow came across Paul. Paul was in prison himself. It may have been that he actually went to see him because he had heard his message back in Colossae. And Philemon's converted, and Paul sends Onesimus back with this 335-word, one-page little letter to a little family, and folks... That one page, little 335 word letter has had incredible, significant impact in history. It is one of those letters that has helped undergird Western civilization's understanding of human worth and dignity. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28, that he makes this radical, what I call, revolutionary statement within a culture that has been restricted by definite and prescriptive class systems. He writes this word, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And this little letter is really the practical outworking of that theological teaching that you just heard. One writer writes, Paul created the Western conception of individual human being, unconditionally precious to God and therefore entitled to the consideration of other human beings. Before Paul, a slave was considered subhuman and entitled to no more consideration than an animal. And what amazes me is the little things that have been done by people throughout history. It took a long time. I was reading on my break this book, Hamilton, that you've heard the play that's out there in Broadway called Hamilton. 700 plus tomes, this work which has been really fun to understand our history, but the prevailing attitudes towards slavery and those African-Americans that we had brought over in our country was, is amazing. 
how long this little letter has taken to penetrate through society. It's not only human worth and dignity, but slavery and freedom as well. American abolitionist, he was an editor, an orator, an author, a statesman, a reformer, Frederick Douglass. Some years, about eight years before the Civil War took place, he was one of the freed slaves who was a great orator, who would be up more in the New York area where there was freedom for slaves. And, and he was asked to speak at a, at a women's anti-slavery society in Rochester, New York. And he was assigned this subject. What to the slave is the 4th of July? That's a good question. What is independence in our country at this point? And and he commented on Philemon, Douglas did. He says in a succinct personal note to a Christian, fellow Christian Philemon, the Apostle Paul presented a fascinating glimpse into the Christian attitude towards slavery. In a masterpiece of pathos, Paul blended together tender affection, encouraging commendation, unanswerable logic, health, heartfelt sympathy, and respectful persuasion to convince Philemon to exude Christian compassion. And as he goes through it, and he could read it more, he is so eloquent, he just talks about the final point, the climax is seen in verse 16 of this letter, to receive Onesimus back, no longer a slave. And he said, here's the real message of Philemon, which has trickled down through history and impacted history. Just 335 words. God would have slaves not to be slaves, says Frederick Douglass. And this little letter was like a thin crack that over time produced a divide in our culture's prevailing view of slavery. Now that's just a little background to share with you that this little thing and the little things we do have great impact. Refreshing others is about not the big things, but those little things done again and again over time that have big influence. And so as we examine this letter, um, you go through it in the first few verses, one through three, it's just a quick greeting. And then he moves to a word of thanks, verses four and seven. And then he gets about eight through 22. It's the heart of it, where he, the main point of it, where he reasons very tactfully that Philemon give Onesimus his freedom. Never demands it, but requests it. And I'm going to have you listen to verse 7, because he sets up the request of this whole thing with this thankful praise. And and then we're going to take some time and we're going to look at little things you and I can do that can make a difference where we live today. He says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Isn't that a great? He's setting them up. I just, I love the fact that you have have chosen to love and as a result of that, you've taken a risk on a number of occasions and you've done these small little wins over time that have hit the mark in the, in the, in, in, in the hearts of people. And then he's going to say, and I got one more for you to do. And as I read that, I was thinking to myself, it just hit me as I was writing this out. Like Paul, I just want to say to you as a congregation, let's continue to do what we've been doing. You, so many of you, are involved in so many different ways 
in, in, in as we talk about this arrived ministry and, and, and what we will do with immigrants here and what that means for us as a church or for you maybe particularly, maybe God is saying, I, w- I want you back there to think about that as an opportunity. Some of you who are involved in substance abuse stuff, teen challenge uh, and in prison ministries and involved in so many different ways where you're, you're giving yourself in little ways. Some of you are involved in, in, in our nursery or you're involved in our kids program and you're doing those little things that maybe aren't recognized but someday... Someone might go, boy, that was so significant. I, I could give you a whole bunch of stories, but there was one that caught my attention this week because as I came back, um, I was talking, I saw, uh, I saw our, our, you saw our high school pastor, Phil Linskog, was here, and, and Shelly McKendry were in the office and scheming and planning for more things for you guys to do, and they were really having fun, and, and I kind of hopped in, and, 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 and a little bit later, I, I saw Phil out there with the guy Cody, and then I, I asked them to share with me the story, and they wrote this up, and in fact, it's kind of a conglomeration of, of, of Phil and Shelley, but you'll hear some of Shelley if you've heard her before. She writes, Sharon Williamson noticed the weeds. She pulled some while she waited for her husband to come out of a meeting. She then mentioned the need to the Wednesday morning Bible, women's Bible study group. Joe Schroeder announced this opportunity to the group about the weeds, Last Wednesday with the phrase, even if you just pull a few weeds or pick up a few broken branch, branches or twigs as you walk by, it helps. And when I came out of the south door that morning, says Shelley, there was already a small stack of debris left by somebody by the sidewalk. I walked around to the east side, and here was Linda Adams, and she was there, and she was still pulling weeds. And as we talked and pulled, I hadn't been there that long, when Phil and Cody drove in, and they began to pull some weeds. The point... Somebody noticed and did what they could as an opportunity arose, and then that person asked others to join in, and somebody else messaged the opportunity in a creative and inspiring way, and then a few more somebodies did what they could, and even if it felt like practically nothing, it helped. And then Cody came along and stayed out in that heat, working alone, a ninth grade guy. This is what caught my eye. For over an hour... Now that's something. And all their practically nothings turned out to be really something big, really refreshing as you walk by and you don't see a bunch of weeds. Keep doing what you're doing. Whatever little good it is that you see and you notice, keep doing what you're doing. And so here's some significant ways, I think small but significant ways you can do that. And it really is summed up in one sense in that, in that verse 7 where he says, refresh, keep doing this, it's the idea, choose love. Choose love. When you have the opportunity to do good, when you have the opportunity to step in, choose love. Do what Jesus taught us to do. Now, I have to share with you, in many situations, in your home life, and maybe with your um, spouse, or, or maybe with your brother or sister, some of you, uh, choosing love isn't always easy, because choosing love often requires winning the battle over the will. Right? Because really what happens so often is you're in a situation and you know you should act in love. You know that maybe you should do good. You know that you've just been spurned maybe by something your spouse has said and you don't want to respond back nicely. But inside there's something that's saying do this. And you have to win the battle of the will over your feelings, right? Because nothing inside you wants to do that. And there are all kinds of occasions in our life where we're doing what is right and good and loving and choosing to love sometimes will mean, hey, it's not going to feel good. 
Some of you, as you think about the whole situation our nation is in with, with some of the racial divide and stuff, um, there, there's the possibility you may have to go against the grain of culture and people might even judge you and look down on you for something that you choose to do because you want to do good. You may find yourself thinking, I just don't have the resources internally to do this, I, to even respond in this way. And that's the time that's so wonderful because Jesus said, blessed are the poor. And he says, you know, he pours out blessing, his presence on people who are of little resources and says, guess what? I got resources. If you just begin to act, I will begin to flow through you. So choose to love. And sometimes in choosing to love, it's not just to win over the battle of the will. It, it, sometimes it's just a matter of attitude. You've got to tweak your attitude a little bit. And that's just the clicking up the dial a bit, right? It may be one click over on your attitude. You're already doing this. You know, but you're doing it with, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do this. It may be just the little tweak of the attitude that all God is asking you to look at. The right action combined with the right attitude is what is substantially big. We sometimes would have our kids when we were growing up um, do chores. And my daughter here at Kelsey's here, and, she, and one of those wonderful chores was the beautiful lilac bushes that you guys planted, which when, when sometimes when, when we would ask them to do these things, they wouldn't have the best attitude. Anybody ever experienced that with kids? Yeah. You know, kids, parents don't always have the best attitude when they ask you to do either, right? And we would just say, this is kind of, we just kind of say, change the tune, dude. Honestly, that might be the little click you need to do right now when you think about the thing that you actually are doing. And it's not just tweaking your attitude. Sometimes it's also doing it with a better perspective. It's, it's that sense of, you know, what you're doing is really significant. And I say this to, to moms and dads, some of you who have chosen the career of being the stay-at-home parent. And changing the diaper, or, 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 or picking up and cleaning up again, and, and all those kind of things, or facing the will and the power struggle of a little older kid. It's the perspective of understanding that what you're doing is significant. For some of you, I know you work in situations and places, and again, it's a matter of perspective, and you just go, I could, it's the last thing I want to do is what that person says. And you just got to say, you know what? The word of God makes it really clear. As Paul would say, whatever you do, whatever work you do, do it how? As unto the Lord, not for that person. It's just a change of attitude. It's, it's, it's sometimes the, the, the battle over that will with the tweak of the attitude, with a change of, of a better perspective. And then here's one other thing I want to include with this. When we talk about choosing to love. Sometimes choosing to love is not just a willful thing. It's not just the battle. Sometimes it's the recognition. Sometimes it's just the intentional presence of yourself in the situation where you notice and you're aware of what good can be done. Choosing to love might mean being a little more intentional. It's looking for the little small things that you can do and noticing the small expressions of love that really don't require a lot of effort. Sometimes love doesn't require a battle as much as it requires being fully present, a little more thoughtful, a little less self-absorbed, a bit more intentionally aware. Did you know that every time you smile at someone, it is an act of love? You are actually giving them a gift of beauty. So this is one that I want us to practice right now. Turn to someone you don't know and, and just smile. You don't, don't say anything, just 
Come on, come on. I know this is out of your comfort zone, but, you know, take a risk. There you go. You didn't know that you were coming today to give people a gift. You were just given an incredible gift. See, big impact on others is often the little day, everyday expressions of, of just thoughtful love. Like showing genuine interest in someone as you're checking out of the line. Or remembering a person's name. Or listening to truly understand, not to try and get to be understood. Sincerely making someone else feel important. It may be as simple as saying, I'm going to take a moment and write a thank you note for something that probably never gets thanked. So there's this idea of choosing to love with all these things that I said, just little kind of tweaks along the way. There's another thing that I want you to think about when we think about these small little things that can make a big difference is, is, is this idea that you should, I would encourage you to focus on small wins. Again, we kind of think if we get the big win, that's the thing we're going after. We've got to get the big win. But um, it's really interesting. A Harvard Business Review did a study, and they wrote up the findings of this report in an article. And the article was titled, The Power of Small Wins. And they did this study, and they looked at all kinds of businesses. They looked at research places with science and and discoveries. And they, they found this, that it is the environment that produces small wins. That's what they found. It was the environment that produces small wins that led to great scientific discoveries and maximum business effectiveness. And what I find really interesting as we go through this letter, you see, as you study Paul, Paul's letter is one little tactful expression after another, and each one is like a small little win that opens the heart so finally the heart can open wide to do the very thing that he's asked to do. You see, focusing on the small one, keeping our eyes on what's in front of us, the the good little thing that we're choosing to do out of love, those steps that we do over and over again, those are the ones that lead to the big win. And if I think about this, where we're at in our culture, even though things aren't the way we want them, the fact that we live in a Western civilization where there's at least in the law, the fact that equality should be something we all have. That was the result of lots of people's little wins all throughout history. That brought us to this place. And so as I think about this, I just, I want you to think for a second. Break down whatever it is you're doing right now. Think about it for a second. The thing you, maybe you can put in your head, here, I want this big win. I'm just thinking if I can get, if I get here. I want you to stop for a second and just break it down and say, what's the little win that I can do tomorrow and the next day and the next day? And as I do that, I just continue to move towards it and let the big win be in God's hands. It may be the relationship you have with someone you deeply love. And you're going, I just want things to be right. You know what? Maybe the right thing to do is just the little thing that the Spirit of God leads you to do one step at a time. And then is this idea of what I call take a risk. Uh, this is another thing that you see in, in, in the little things we do. The little things we do often are pretty risky. And, and, and so you need to take a risk and sometimes just reach out. And that means stepping out of your comfort zone. It's doing what you know is right and trusting God to bless it. It's, it's reaching out and, and just see if through your act of faith, God won't do something bigger than you could imagine. 
verses 13 and 14 is really interesting because Paul says, I'm sending him Onesimus, who is my very heart. Listen, this is tender. He, I'm sending him Onesimus, who is my very heart. Now, I'm sending him back to you. He was a, he's your slave, and I know you're really upset with him. I know he ran away. Listen to what he says. I would have liked to have keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. I'm a slave now. And I'd like for him to stay with me, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. This was risky for Paul. This was risky for Onesimus. This would be risky for Philemon. And as you think about it, Paul had all, can you imagine how easy it would have been for him to rationalize away? Oh yeah, I really, you know what, we, I, no one needs to know you're here with me, Onesimus. You are doing such a great job for me here. I'm so excited about it. In fact, maybe I'll even send him a note and say, you know what, you, you would want me to have him. And, and it could have been that Paul could have rationalized the whole thing away and never have written this little letter. Think about that. But he took a risk. He did this little thing. He wrote this little letter. And what's really interesting is you go through this letter, you'll find out that you don't have to be loud and forceful. Paul didn't demand. He doesn't get big and powerful and and go over them. In fact, he doesn't even get long-winded. Just 335 words. Not anything like me. I could take a lesson there. He does what Proverbs 15.1 suggests. The right thing can be quite quiet and gentle. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A quiet response deflects anger. A tactful little win where you take a risk and you do it because you sense the Spirit of God calling you to do it and you put it in his hands will never be wasted. Whether you see it in this life or not. And finally, this is probably the most important of them all. Do the little thing that hits the mark. Okay? This is really important. Verse 7 in the original Greek reflects more fully the language and thoughts of their day if you go to the Greek language. Um, The NIV gives its intended meaning. It talks, it says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And the hearts is the word that that the NIV puts in. It's right. It's exactly kind of what's intended here. And the New American Standard Version is a little more uh, literal. It gives a footnote for the word heart and adds what the Greek actually is. The, the Greek is the inward parts. You have refreshed the inward parts. It's kind of an interesting phrase. You, it's really a guts. In fact, the King James Version, for those of you who like the King James Version, is the most um, kind of literal in one sense. It, it, it says it this way. We have great joy and consolation in thy love. And when I start hearing this, I I go back to when I was in middle school. We have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. (laughs) Now, I have to tell you, I grew up in a church, my father was a pastor, and I remember hearing this with my brother two years older, and we'd hear things like the balls, and we'd just go, <clears throat> and we'd feel this you know, arm come over and start pinching us. But how can you not laugh as a kid when you start thinking about, it? he's asking Philemon, who must be an ex-lax salesman, to um, <laughs> keep doing what he's doing. But here's the point. The new translation says the heart, which is is really true. But in the ancient days, when they spoke about the seat of the emotions, they talked about the bowels, the gut. And in many ways, it's far more accurate if you think about it scientifically, because we also know now that there's a little brain in our stomach 
And when we feel something, it's the little brain or so feels it in our guts. And that's what we talk about. And, and, and what I love about this is, is Philemon did those little things that hit the mark. His expressions of love touched people deeply. So much so that they felt it in their gut. It hit the mark. And little things become big when they hit the mark. In fact, if you get, you got to keep this in context. You got to know why you're doing the little thing. In one sense, if you know it's hitting the mark. Because if you have a glass of water, man, the word of God says give a cup of cold water, that's a good thing to do, right? But if you're trying to give it to a person who's drowning, that's not a great, great thing, right? But you give it to the person on the 12 mile marker of a marathon, and they're probably what? Really grateful. Because it hits the mark. On sabbatical, about a week, a couple weeks before I came back, my wife's birthday was this last Tuesday, so I had read a book um, by Danny Silk called Get Your Love On, and I have to share with you, I think it's an excellent work. I mean, I've done a lot of counseling and and have been involved in, in counseling people as well as therapy for myself, other things. And I have to tell you, some of the concepts he has are right on. And, and in his second chapter, he talks about, um, some of you are aware of this, Gary Chapman has a book called Love Languages. He sums it up in his second chapter, does a great job of summing it up. And, and it's, you know, about the love language like touch and gifts and acts of service and quality time and words of affirmation and all these kind of things. And I was thinking about a number of them, and my wife has a number of them, and I was thinking with her birthday coming up, I really want to do the one around gifts. But gifts isn't just, you know, it's not like she just wants to get things. That's not what it is. Gifts is the idea that you give something that really uniquely hits the mark, touches who they are. It kind of of what you've done, it doesn't have to be big, but it's done with some sense of thoughtfulness of understanding who they are. And so I spent time, and we have a thing called birthday week that we do. So I thought on birthday week this week, instead of just saying, you know, happy birthday, etc., I'm going to have a card each day, and I'm going to have a pile of presents for each day, and I'm going to put them out there, and I'm going to really take time not to just get a card and kind of, you know, put something, you know, whatever on it. I read them. <laughs> Guys, that's a good thing to do. And I read a lot of them to make sure I got ones that I felt really hit the mark. And overall, I mean, I know my wife, and she sent me a thank you card, and it, it, I'm really grateful because I, I, I was pretty close. Um, yet, one of the things I did is I went and tried to get this ice cream that, I, that Grace has loved, has loved, um, called Caramel Collision. And I went to, a, like, three different ones trying to find this thing, this blue bonnet. I mean, I can tell you all about this ice cream. Anyway, I found it and brought it home, and so happens that she's not in love with that ice cream so much anymore. <laughs> Yet on Tuesday, I came back to work, and it was the day of her birthday, and I came back to work, and my first day back, and on my desk were some cards, and there was a bunch of really delicious-looking seven-layer bars. That's exactly, seven-layer bars were on my desk, and I was about to grab them, open them up, and chow down on one, thinking, wow, how nice that someone thought of me, and am I coming back? And I look at it as I go to grab it, and it says grace on the card. <laughs> Thank God I didn't just... I mean, how many of you guys opened the card first? Anyway... So I brought them home, and to my surprise, my wife looks at them, she opens the card, she reads the card, and she's gushing all over the place, and just can't believe it. Can you believe it? She says, I, rem- I mentioned this in passing, how I was looking forward to making some seven-layer bars for myself for my birthday treat, because I love them so much, and, and this person so thoughtfully caught that when we were walking along and heard that, and they got them for me, in fact, they actually made them for me, and I'm just going... But Grace was heard, she was understood, 
some seven-layer bars hit the mark. Somehow she was touched in a way that my caramel collision and a $100 Nordstrom's gift card didn't do it. (laughs) Now, I don't want you coming up afterwards. Things are really good. (laughs) I just was impressed how deeply we touch people when we truly hear, understand, and do the little things that Paul says hits the gut, moves the heart. Proverbs 25, 11 says, Words spoken at the right time are like apples of gold and silver settings. Or my Meyer paraphrase now is, the right thing at the right time is like a seven-layer bar on one's birthday. (laughs) Are you aware of the person you deeply love? What really hits the mark? At work. Do you take time when you start choosing to love and you maybe take the risk and and you think about small wins, you know what hits the mark actually touches the heart. God is impressed with the small little things. With it, he can do much. Zechariah 4.10 says, For who has despised the day of small things? And I just want you to think for a second of the small things that seem to impress God. Two or three gathered in his name to pray. A cup of cold water. A simple act of hospitality. A poor widow's two-penny offering. A mustard seed of faith. Not asking for a lot, guys. That impresses him. What little thing can you do this week? And you can do again and again. A couple weeks ago, and I can end on this, um, I was eating lunch with a couple guys. I was out at Boulevard, and I'm just... We're eating, and all of a sudden my phone rings. And I, I glanced at it. I wasn't going to take it, but I glanced at it, and I ID it said Leslie Frazier. And um, so I thought, I'll, I'll grab this one. And uh, <laughs> some of you don't know, Leslie Frazier was the Vikings head coach for a couple years, and um, he had known. My, my, my father actually was the first president of a, a school where he, Leslie became the first coach of the football team. My, my dad wanted a football team started. It was 85, after the 85 Super Bowl champs, um, Leslie Frazier hurts his knee. My dad, because the Bears would tr- train at the university there, he talked to the uh, Mike Ditka. Mike Ditka said, you know what, you've got to have Leslie Frazier. He can't play anymore, but his, he's, he said, he's really religious. So my dad goes, okay. <laughs> and so I answer the phone, and I go, Leslie, what's up? And he goes, um, Kev, I'm going to be in town for just a short period of time. It's the uh, Christian NFL coaches thing. It's up at Mill, Lake Mille Lacs, and, and, and it's just over the weekend. He said, I'm going to be driving back. Would you be willing to pick me up somewhere? I'd like to go see your dad. i got about 10, 15 minutes. And then I got to, you know, would you be willing to give me a ride to the airport? And I said, man, if you're willing to see my dad, I'll give you a ride to California. Um, <laughs> and my dad's in this place where he's just, you know, his memory's bad. He's, he's, he's not ambulatory anymore. He's, sometimes I'm not even sure he's fully aware. I mean, you know what that's like. In my, and Leslie Frazier, I pick him up. He comes in. He spends 15 minutes with my dad. My dad hardly says anything. He's just sitting there smiling, and I'm kind of teasing out some things for Leslie because Leslie's now on the Baltimore Ravens as one of their coaches, and I'm just kind of getting some things out, and Leslie's just so good and so patient. And, and I, my dad's smiling, and I just said, Dad, what are you thinking? And he just goes, I'm so happy. And 
I give Leslie a ride to the airport, and as I'm driving home, my dad still has the ability to go through his little speed dial, which I want to take the phone away at times, but anyway. <laughs> and he, he hits this, he talks to me, and he says, Kevin, did Leslie Frazier want to see me? I said, Dad, he called me and set this all up, and it took time. I know that he was leaving from here to go to the training camp, and his busy schedule, he wanted to see you. 10, 15 minutes just touched my heart. Father, thank you for Paul, for Philemon, for Onesimus, for this letter, for these 335 words, for 10, 15 minutes, for a choice to love, to beat the battle of our will over feelings, to do with an attitude and a perspective, to be present with people intentionally. One little win after another, risk after risk, hitting the mark, making huge changes for your kingdom. Thank you. Amen.